Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. I'm Tyler. Hey guys, I'm Mike. What's going on, Miguel? I'm pretty sad, man. It's our last episode that we'll be doing in my parents' basement. A lot of good memories here, but we're moving on to bigger and better things. I just bought a house. Uh, the house has a $2.6 million podcast center that we will be recording from from now on, so definitely looking forward to that. Good investment. Well, tis the season for holiday movies. We're recording this two days before Thanksgiving. There's not enough good Thanksgiving horror movies out there, man. So we're, we kind of find shit. Yeah, I mean, like there's there's blood rage, but we're we're bypassing those movies. We're going straight into Christmas themed horror. We're going to be talking about all three versions of Black Christmas, and we're going to be doing what we did with Last House on the Left, where we graded each movie based on five categories acting entertainment music scares and writing and we're going to grade them out at the end and uh basically rank them based on those grades you can you can if you've seen these movies you can kind of you know see the way that this is it's going it's clear as day what right. these movies are ranked by anyone that's seen all three of these there's yeah. clearly a best and clearly a worst and then there's one that falls right in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Let's get into any latest horror news first. Um, a franchise that we love, Scream. The fifth installment is coming out. I think it's January of 2022. Um, and they, what's that movie going to be called? It's going to be called Scream. Ooh. <laughs> Very original. <laughs> so they're, they're taking a page out of uh, the, you know the Halloween franchise's book. What do you what do you think about that? To me, I guess it's a marketing thing, right? It has to be. I mean, it's not as bad as Halloween because we also had the 2007 Rob Zombie Halloween. So there were literally three movies called Halloween. Uh, this is the second Scream, uh, but I feel like that they might actually have fun with it because they're like a down to earth franchise. Yeah, and they kind of know it's probably silly. So I feel like that that they might capitalize a little bit by calling it Scream instead of Scream Five. Good point. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll end up calling this Scream 22, just like everybody calls right. Halloween 18, Halloween 18. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to that movie, obviously. Nev I don't think they would have made the movie, especially with Wes Craven passing, if they weren't confident in the script and Agreed. on the characters coming back. So it's a franchise you have a lot of faith in. Yeah. I mean, they made their mistakes from Scream 3, which was clearly the worst one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they would have made a movie, what, 11 years after the fourth yeah. Just to make a movie, you know. I, I think they want to honor Wes Craven, right, and uh, make a quality sequel to a great franchise. Agreed. And the good news is Kevin Williamson is writing the script again. He wrote, That's huge. Yeah. yeah, that's gigantic. He wrote 1, 2, and 4. He did not write 3, which, as you mentioned, it's no coincidence that that movie was easily the worst. So you really have Wes Craven's right-hand man at the helm here writing the script. And don't quote me on the names of the directors, but I know it's the two guys that directed Ready or Not mm-hmm. with Samara Weaving, which was a pretty fun, entertaining movie and kind of had the same tone as as a scream. Right. Yeah, it's always nice to get a director with some pedigree. Uh, you see what they're doing with the Texas Chainsaw sequel. I don't even know the guy's names. Uh, yeah. The original guy was actually fired like two weeks into filming, so that's a bad sign. Yeah. They bring someone on who we've never heard of who doesn't really have much of an IMDb page. I don't think he has a Wikipedia page at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely have more confidence in Scream right now than this uh, Texas Chainsaw sequel. Scream, Scream's a franchise. It just feels like it has a lot more stability than Texas. Yeah. Like, Texas Chainsaw is just all over the map. Yeah. People are getting fired left and right. The movies vary so much in quality. I don't know that that movie could be a could be a total shit show, but the new Scream definitely a lot of promise there. Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, they're all returning, and I said this in the solo episode when I was ranking the Final Destination movies in the intro. I said that at least one of those characters has to die, right? Like this is the fifth installment, and you still have all those main right. characters. Something has, has to, to give. Yeah, and you would think that they want to be killed off because yeah, like actors always have this fetish of you know they like being killed off in these movies david arquette has to go at some point that guy doesn't even really act anymore he's like a pro wrestler now so uh, right you would think it'd be like an honor for him to finally be killed off yeah another piece of horror news is robert anglin has signed on to uh, be a part of stranger things season four which is kind of strange freddy krueger himself in a netflix show centered around kids i mean i know it's horror but it's centered around kids right um, oh, what do you think about Stranger Things and, and is Robert England 
enough to kind of uh, up your level of excitement for a season four? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll definitely watch it, but only because it's kind of what everybody watches now. I think it's a show that's uh, kind of dived off the edge a little bit. I really enjoyed the first two seasons. Um, Robert England, he really doesn't do much these days with no. acting. Um, and I'm sure with COVID, with the uh, conventions being all canceled, that that was kind of like his main thing, you know, in his last couple of years is, you know, just doing these horror movie shows and these conventions so with that being canceled i'm sure you know he's kind of looking for something to do um not that he has to do anything because he's a legend but i'm definitely looking forward to seeing him in stranger things the irony of it is a lot of the people that are really big fans of stranger things i would imagine are a little bit on the younger side um probably they, they no probably don't even know who, who robert england right. is but yeah it's pretty cool and obviously he's a guy that just works when he wants to work but i'm with you the first season especially of stranger things was really really good and i think it's been on a pretty steady decline ever since but good always good to see robert anglin working all right let's get into the episode we are again we are grading out all three black christmas movies and declaring a winner um and a second place and a third place in the end let's start with the classic 1974 directed by bob clark this is the original Black Christmas, and we'll start in alphabetical order with our categories. We'll begin with acting. Uh, I'll kick this off, Mike, and you can give me your two cents. I think the acting in this movie is awesome. Um, I think, you know, all things told, at the end of the day, I think Olivia Hussey is probably a pretty underrated final girl. You know, you always hear about Jamie Lee Curtis and Heather Langenkamp and Nev, Nev Campbell, and sometimes people like this get lost in the shuffle. Uh, but she's really good. She's very smart, very competent. Um, Margot Kidder, um, as, as a supporting cast member, is great. Lois Lane. Yeah, man. And then the great late John Saxon, who uh, just has this way of speaking that's awesome. Just, like, silky smooth and just always, like, this confident cop character. He's um, just meant to be a cop in a horror movie. Yeah. That's his calling card. Something about that just feels right. But yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with the cast, and again, I would I would say that Olivia Hussey's a very underrated final girl, and then, you know, the lady who plays Mrs. Mack is sort of a comedic relief, and I thought she's very good in that role. What do you think? Yeah, I found no real big problems with the acting in this. Um, you know, I wasn't here in 1974, but I believe that's how a lot of the women acted then. I don't, I don't think anyone was too over the top. Um, a lot of these actresses and actors were actually, you know, really in their 30s and yeah. mid to late 30s, you know, playing college kids. But, you know, still pretty believable. And a lot of them are smart. Um, I was watching this movie, especially after watching the 2019. I never found myself really thinking that these characters were dumb horror movie characters. Uh, yeah. I was never questioning what the hell they were thinking or about what they could have done like, differently um, in order to live. You know, they all kind of had their fate and mm -hmm. the killer was smart and the characters were smart. So I really enjoyed it. I don't know if that's more writing or acting, but I'll count it as acting. Well, it's both because, I mean, you know, it's it, it's still the actor's job to portray that in right. a realistic manner. Hussey and Kidder were great. John Saxon was a great compliment. Um, I I gave the acting a 9. And I give it an 8 out of 10. Okay. Moving on to the entertainment for the original Black Christmas. It's sort of like, you know, Halloween came out in 78. Is Halloween the most entertaining movie on the planet? No, not really. It's, it, it's a slow-burning movie. But to me, what makes a movie like Halloween and a movie like the original Black Christmas entertaining is that it's traditional old-school horror, something that I just... I just love. Um, so I'm, I was entertained by it to that degree. And there is a little bit of comedy involved, too. Like I said, Mrs. Mack is comedic relief. There's that one really dumb cop um, where Margot he, he asked the address of the frat house and, and Margot Kidder says it's on Fellatio Street. Um, so so like there are fun things involved. And also it's it's sort of a whodunit, you know, with the abortion uh, subplot involved with Olivia Hussey's character. You don't know if Peter is involved, so it really keeps you um, on the edge of your seat. But, you know, looking back on it after watching it a couple of weeks ago, it's just one of those old-school movies. It feels old-school. It feels traditional, and I mean that as a very high compliment. You'd be hard-pressed to find something boring about this movie. Um, I do like the uh, little Peter storyline that they have, and 
Scream kind of took a little bit from that, you know, when you're getting chased by a killer and then suddenly, you know, the uh, girl's boyfriend is knocking at the doors. Yeah, but it's not just a slasher movie. Just like you said, it's a thriller. It's a mystery. Uh, for a long time, you're thinking Peter's the actual killer. You know, up until the final three minutes of this movie, you really think he is. Uh, so I gave this a 7 out of 10 for the entertainment value. I gave it a 7 too. Like it's not, um, you know, it, it's lacking in the kills department a little bit, but it's old school horror. The people are likable. And I think for the most part, the movie uh, has a way of grabbing you in. And then we will move on to the music. This is always one of the hardest ones to grade, I think. Um, I will say this. We can keep the music short. But right. they have this movie, Bob Clark, the director, he has a really good way of using traditional Christmas hymns in like really creepy scenarios. Right. The, the intro is Silent Night where Billy is first climbing into the attic. And then, of course, you kind of have that iconic Margot Kidder kill where the chorus is outside singing and they're singing, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him, I think the name of that song is. So it's just injecting real-life Christmas songs into a movie really effectively that you know really impacted the movie in a positive way. I agree 100%. Yeah, there's nothing special about the original music in this, but um, the fact that they were able to make Christmas music sound so creepy, I think, yeah. was their goal, and they succeeded. I did give it a 6 out of 10 uh, for that just because their their original music, I don't think they really even had any. Mm -mm. But the fact that they were able to make Christmas music sound creepy was well done. So 6 out of 10. One thing I'll add real quick is um, it, it's, not, it's not technically music, but I guess it is kind of part of what we would call the score is the the ambient noise of the, of the wind blowing a lot. And they right. also utilize that in creepy moments yeah. too. So that that was just another good use, and that's in a, in a sense that's almost creepier than than the actual Christmas music. I gave it a five, right down the middle. I think they accomplished what they set out to do. It just wasn't anything spectacular. Right. And then we will move on to the scares, um, and this is a scary movie. And as I mentioned, it's in the traditional sense. You know, I don't think there's any jump scares in the entire movie. Um, you know, maybe one or two that I'm forgetting. There's really not a whole lot of gore. It certainly does not rely on shock value in any sense. Um, the opening scene with Billy climbing into the attic and you can, you know, you can hear his heavy breathing um, is really creepy, sets the tone for the movie. And then, uh, you know, what can I say about Billy's incoherent babbling over the phone with his very creepy voice? I mean, the movie obviously really relies on those phone calls and they hit it out of the park, man. It's it's scary as shit. So watching this, I was wondering if like the point of view shots that we got in the opening, I, like you have to think that Halloween took their idea and from, from this movie, mm -hmm. like this is from 1974. December 20th, I think it came out, so right before Christmas. Um, Carpenter's and, on the record of saying that this was a big influence. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, you would think. Um, this came out around the same time as uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, about two months after. So um, this movie's original as hell. Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't have to copy from anybody. They kind of set the standard. The killer in this movie, he's so menacing, and he's mean, and he really hates these girls, and you can feel it. Uh, that kind of makes it even more scary. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that this is a low-budget movie from the 70s, that will always be more scary than any movie that's made today. Because movies now just can't match what yeah. those movies had back in the day. For scares, I gave this an 8 out of 10. Me too. I love the subtlety. I Twins! Love the, <laughs> I love the ambiguity at the end where you don't know if Olivia Hussey lives or dies. It's just really good stuff all around, and it is definitely a very scary movie in that traditional 1970s sense, so I gave it an 8 as well. And our last category for the original Black Christmas is the writing. And, uh, man, what more can we say? I mean, this is a movie that is very competently written, you called it original, and and it is, in a sense, it is worth noting that Silent Night, Bloody Night came out two years prior in 1972, which was more of a faster-paced slasher. You know, this this has a lot more depth, and that's why I think this is a much better written movie. Um, it has depth, but there's also a layer of slasher to it, and, you know, the, the college campus or the sorority house really lends itself to the slasher genre. 
and again, it's 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 a blend of horror and and drama, and you know, with the baby dilemma situation. And what I'll say about the writing is, as hard as the 2019 tries to be feminist, this is really a movie. The original back in '74 was feminist by nature. You know, she's but it's a, done the right way. Exactly, actually making these women appear stronger. Yeah, and this movie's subtle. And, you know, she doesn't want to keep the baby. Peter is basically threatening her, telling her to keep the baby. I mean, we have an abortion subplot in 1974. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so to say this movie is well-written, I almost, I almost think it's an understatement. I, I think it's incredibly well-written. I agree. Uh, you pretty much said everything I wanted to. Um, the only knock I guess I would have on the writing is the ending. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of me, like, nitpicking about how – Someone who was just a victim of all those, you know, of all that happened. And the cops just leave her, like, in her bed at night and, like, leave the house. Like, that kind of had me wondering what the hell. Like, they just wanted to end the movie or they needed to get their their plot twist across. Yeah. Uh, Which was a good plot twist, you know, that Billy's still lurking up in the attic. That's that's creepy. But the ending uh, with the cops leaving and the way they handled everything, which kind of seemed like a cop-out. So that's why I gave it a 7 out of 10. Okay. I went a little bit higher. I, I gave it a nine. Um, I really only docked at a point. I don't even know if this is fair or not, but Silent Night, Bloody Night was a Christmas slasher that came out two years prior. So I, I knocked at a point just right. for that. But I think overall it was great. So that leaves us with a total. For you personally, Mike, you had uh, you had it graded out as a 36 out of 50. For me, I had it graded out as a 38 out of 50. So that's a total of 74 out of 100. And we checked the math. It took us a couple hours, but (laughs) we're set on that score. We got it. And that almost seems low. I almost feel like we're underselling this movie a little bit. But again, you know, you you do have to find ways to be nitpicky about things. And, you know, not not every movie can be a 45 out of 50. When you're a critic, it's a tough job, Ty. It's a lot of pressure. That's why they pay us the big bucks. Uh, but we did have it at 74 out of 100. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it a 71. The audience gave it a 75. So we're sandwiched right in between there. Okay. The budget for this movie was 620000 and it brought in $4.1 million. So mm-hmm. a nice box office return for this holiday classic slasher movie. A little surprising we never saw Black Christmas 2. Yes, um, especially with the way that this ended. Um, I think Bob Clark always planned on making a sequel. Um, not right away. I think it was going to, I think he tried writing one in the 80s. Uh, he actually wanted to write one after the 2006 movie, after it bombed. Uh, he unfortunately passed away, though, before that could happen. The coolest thing I read about Bob Clark uh, writing this movie and directing the movie is he wanted the college students to be um to feel real like he wanted them to be smart and educated because he was saying like around that time and it definitely still rings true today for a lot of movies especially in the era that we're going to be talking about with this next black christmas movie but he said young people they were always depicted unrealistically and just like over the top just just partying and whatnot and just really stupid so Bob Clark wanted Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder and all of her roommates to to feel real and I and I think he accomplished that that's something now that like these writers and these actors really can't even do now, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, so to do that in 1974 is well done. So just to recap, that's a 74 out of 100 for the original 1974. There you go. 74 for 74. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so NBC wanted to air this movie um, on January 28th, 1978, uh, four years after it was at the box office. But... Uh, two weeks prior, there were two sorority girls at Florida State that were brutally killed um, at their house. So there was some backlash about them uh, showing that movie. Uh, so they decided to pull the plug on the movie and push it back a couple years. Hmm. Um, it turns out that the killer of those girls was Ted Bundy. No shit. So, yeah. Wow. That was in 1978, uh, you know, and then the rest of his story is history. Let's move on to the first remake of Black Christmas. This movie came out in 2006, directed by a gentleman named Glenn Morgan, who I don't think has done much since. I saw this movie, I actually think me and my brother had this movie on DVD, I'm not sure, but I, I've definitely seen it two or three times before rewatching it recently. There's just something to be said, man, about these that decade of horror, you know, f- you know, from 2000 to 2010, or maybe even a little bit beyond, where everything was just a lot 
trashier, more gory, right. and you know, I'll get more into my thoughts w- w- before we get into the acting and the other categories. Like, w- w- what's your what's your initial takeaway for the movie? Just your quick synopsis. So I don't really throw this movie in with those cheap horror remakes of the mid two thousands. Like, I think this movie's better than Prom Night or When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. I kind of put this more in the category of with House of Wax and like My Bloody Valentine. Hills Have Eyes. And Hills Have Eyes is a good one. And then, like, I'd say that, like, the upper tier would be, like, Texas Chainsaw, Friday 13th, Last House on the Left. That's kind of, like, the mm-hmm. the remakes of the 2000s that were done right. That's fair. This is, like, middle tier. It's definitely not a classic by any means. Um, it's not a movie I think about too often. It's well shot. It actually looks like a high-budget film. Um, so, so let's get into the acting. I'll let you take it away because I think you have some thoughts on the acting. So it's a good cast. I mean, you have Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You got Michelle Trachtenberg. I'm not saying that right, but who cares? Uh, Katie Cassidy. It's like these typical 2000s cast where like none of them are really good, but like you know who they all are. Winstead's pretty good. She is, yeah. And... Uh, has she really been in much lately? I don't know. She was in Fargo season three, and she was really okay, good. Great. That, that's the only no, thing. No, but she, she's clearly the best one here. Yeah. But her character is killed off so early. It's, these girls are very superficial. Uh, they're bitchy. Yeah. Like, for no reason, too. I mean, there's one thing about being a bitch. There's another reason just to, you know, hate all of your <laughs> yeah. sorority sisters for no reason. You know, you don't really care about these girls. 1974 just did it so much better. It's that depiction of college students that Bob Clark didn't, didn't want to do. And they did, yeah. It's so That's so infuriating to me. But, yeah, I mean, the acting, Katie Cassidy is fine. I, I don't know. Like, you mean, like, fine to look at or fine? Uh, well, she's a little, I think she's better than fine to look at. But, I mean, <laughs> from an acting standpoint, she's fine. Uh, and you, you mentioned When a Stranger Calls. That actually came out the same year, and she was mm-hmm. in that movie. I don't right. think she was the final girl, though. And she was also in Click, which was 2006. She was busy yeah. that year. But yeah, I mean, the movie probably needed more Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I'm not saying she's like an Oscar winner or anything, but you know, she's definitely the best of the bunch here. Uh, she was actually cast after uh, she was already done with Final Destination 3, so she didn't yeah. want to be typecast. I think she was trying to do Glenn Morgan a favor by taking this Not role. That, yeah. But she just wanted to take like a secondary role where she would be killed off. Yeah, this movie has a lot of ties to the Final Destination franchise. Kristen Cloak is another uh, lady in this movie who was the teacher in the original Final Destination. Right. And she's actually not bad in this movie, even though she's like the overplayed badass girl. You know what right. I mean? You know how slasher movies just have that one girl that comes in and kicks ass all the time? Uh, and other than that, none of the actors are really even worth mentioning to me. And I, and I know this this kind of goes back to the writing as well, but the acting is just m- much like this movie overall to me is just very forgettable. Right. There's no men really in this movie even worth Olivia, yeah, mentioning. There's, there's Oliver Hudson who's just like a throwaway. Whatever. But for me, this acting, I gave it a five because it's not like it's terrible. It, there's just not enough there for me to even be overly critical about it or right. for me to to say that i enjoy it either it's right down the middle yeah i agree with you somewhat um i like the fact that um andrea martin returned yeah. uh as as a house mother you know just to pay some homage to the 1974 movie mm-hmm. um i gave it a four out of ten okay fair enough uh let's move on to the entertainment for the 06 it's a pretty entertaining movie. It's definitely fast-paced. If you if you like more modern horror, more faster-paced um, stuff than the than the movies you you know you got in the seventies or even the early eighties a lot of the time, um, this this movie is probably for you. There's also some unique kills. There's the icicle kill. Speaking of Andrea Martin, mm-hmm. that's how she dies in the movie. There's that really good ice skate kill. I think that's Michelle Trachtenberg's yeah. character where he, uh, the, I think it's Agnes, throws the skate the, at the yeah, top of her, her dome is taken yeah. off, yeah. Yeah, that's it, there's some good effects in this movie, for sure. A um, uh, lot, lot of blood. I will say that, you know, because of the fast pace, because of it, because it relies a lot on the shock value that you got a lot um, in, in this decade, it, it does make me miss the, the not-so-cheap entertainment value of the original and I know it's hard to compare this to the original. It's not fair either. 
Um, but that's exactly what we're doing. So it, it's that's, entertaining. That's what they pay us to do. <laughs> yeah, it's um, so you said it. It's definitely cheap entertainment value. Um, but I do like the fact that we get a murder, what, like two minutes into this movie. Yes. It doesn't really stop for the first, like, hour. So I really do think the first 60 minutes of this movie are pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, it does kind of fall off towards the end, you know, with the hospital scene where the movie kind of seems like it starts dragging, you know, and for a movie that's 95 minutes at most, you know, you shouldn't really have that. But it's a movie that's not afraid to just go all out and be as gruesome as possible. Um, we do get the uh, the uh, bag over the head kill. Yeah. Kind of, we're kind of beat over the um, head with it, you know, because mm-hmm. that's one of the main deaths in yeah. uh, the 1974 version. There's probably like six or seven people that die that way in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but then they add their touch with you know with him stabbing through the bag to make it even more gruesome. Uh, but I found myself pretty entertained with this movie. Um, I was only bored maybe towards the end a little bit. So I'm going to give this a six out of ten. Okay, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Let's move on to the music. This movie was scored by Shirley Miller. This was um, her last movie before she died. Shirley Miller is really one of the more um, iconic female composers um, in movie history, especially the horror genre. She did a lot of the Final Destination movies, the original Final Destination 2, and then the third one, too. Um, But to me, the score here, it's, you know, it's, it's... mid 2000s music right it's, it's very generic it, for me it's disappointing because like you know the, the music in the original although it wasn't anything groundbreaking it was used so well um and the the wind in the original was used so well there's there wasn't a whole lot of injected here from a noise standpoint that really made this movie any better yeah i agree i don't really have many notes for music for this movie because you know what are you going to do? I mean, they kind of took the same playbook as 1974, uh, just trying to capitalize on the Christmas music and make it sound creepy. Um, so I gave them a 4 out of 10 because they pretty much did the same work as 74, just not done as well. I'm always disappointed by stuff like that because, like, you and I are both big fans of It Follows, and that was on a $2 million budget. And, like, you, you see... Amazing score. One of the best scores of all time from a horror perspective i don't think i don't think that's an exaggeration but like you know this had a nine million dollar budget and and we don't get anything here right that always pisses me off a little bit but i gave the music a two and you're probably more right with that you know i'm i'm kind of looking at my four now and thinking yeah you're yeah. probably right but well, let's keep it okay because we don't feel like adding any more <laughs> numbers and because we, we can't do math all right let's go to the scariness for we are on the 06 Black Christmas. I don't know. It's an uneven movie. There's definitely scary parts. It's not typically how I like my horror, especially after watching the 1974, where you move on to the more shock value stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, also, my major problem with it from a scare perspective is Billy's voice is not nearly as scary. Nowhere close, right? They, ma- they made him like too clear and concise, and like, he's not as unhinged. And that's like something you can't fuck up if you're remaking this movie. Just make right. his voice scarier. Right. I mean, that went a long way in 1974. Billy and Angus are the two killers in this movie. Um, and they're a lot more gruesome than what Billy was in 74. But that, does, but that doesn't always mean you're more scary. Yeah. They uh, go into the backstory of Billy and Angus and something that... It's fine, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but then you kind of take away from Billy and you make him a little less scary when you find out more about him. And I think that's what made Billy so scary in the originals. Hmm. You never saw his face. You still don't know his story. You don't know his history. He's just some fucking maniac that's living in a sorority house. Totally agree. The ambiguity helped the first one. Um, The fact that they go so deep into his backstory in this one really hurts it. Because you almost... It's almost like he's not really the bad guy. His mom yeah. was the the first villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I gave, from a scariness perspective, I gave it a four. I gave it a four as well. Um, you know, I think that deaths are scary. And mm-hmm. the fact that you put a bag over someone's head and then it can stab through it is still scary. Yeah, it, it's it's not an unscary movie. It's just scary in a different way. Right. So I think it's personal preference. The writing for this movie 
You probably can't remake this movie without going a little bit into Billy's backstory, like we said. You know, you do have to do something different. Um, otherwise, you get the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> and no- nobody wants that. But the backstory to me does come off as a little cheap and a little lazy at, at parts. I think they could have done a lot less with the backstory. Like they didn't have to go into it to the extent that they did uh, because then you make Billy too sympathetic. And we've we've always said this. I hate when my slasher villains are sympathetic. Like right. I don't want to feel bad for Leatherface. That's what we got with uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yeah, I hate exactly. that. I never understand why why writers and directors do that. So to me, that was a big demerit from a writing standpoint. I agree 100%. Um I kind of talked about it in my scares category because I think they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I don't think the fans of Black Christmas really needed a Billy uh, storyline, yeah. but I do think that the remake actually did, you know, if that makes any sense. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing about the writing of this movie I do like is, you know, they tried to put their own spin on things. They didn't just try to make the same movie from 1974. So credit there, uh, but they didn't really do it too well. So that's why I gave it a 3 out of 10. I gave it a 3 too. I don't understand why movies like this don't just attempt to make characters that we can enjoy. Because with, with better characters, this movie's infinitely better. Like, like you said at, you know, at, at the beginning, everyone is just shallow and mean, and it just doesn't make any sense. You're and, just waiting for them to die. Um, the one thing about this movie, though... Um, you kind of don't know who the final girl is. and t- Like, you expect any person to die at any minute, and I do like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then as it goes on, you kind of have a hunch that Katie Cassidy is the final girl, and she ultimately is. Uh, but I do like how any one of these girls at any moment could be the final girl. I'll give this movie credit for what it is, and I think you agree. Um, th- this movie's completely stripped down. You know, like there's no abortion subplot. This is not a feminist movie. There's they're not trying to make a statement, not even a little bit. Right. You know, they're just, just a, they're, they're here for a good of time. Two thousand slasher movie. So all told, that is uh, for the '06 Black Christmas remake. Mike, you gave it a 21 out of 50. I gave it a 19 out of 50. That's a total of 40 out of 100, which doesn't sound too pretty, but we're we haven't seen the worst of it yet. I think for what this movie is, that seems about right, you know. Um, I think they knew what they were. wasn't going to be anything classic or memorable for that matter, but I don't think it's a terrible movie. Um, but the critics do. On Round Tomatoes, it's got a 14%. Uh, audience gave it a 37%. Made on a $9 million budget, brought in $21 million. Uh, this was released actually on Christmas Day, and there was a lot of backlash for that because lots of families like to go to movies on Christmas, and this is not a family movie. Um, now, I don't know why they would go to see this, but and people will find anything to backlash, but... Um, well, I know Christian groups were not happy with it coming out on Christmas, On Christmas right? Day, yeah. It's worth mentioning that the Weinsteins had their hands all over this movie, constantly clashing with director Glenn Morgan bunch of reshoots so a lot of the finished product you see is not even what the director intended it to be um so the production studio really got in the way here it was them who wanted two killers Mm -hmm. uh glenn morgan just wanted billy the one killer like the original um but they insisted on incorporating agnes and i don't know why and they they also had a, um, a lot to say about um halloween the curse of michael myers if you remember they they stuck their hand in that jar a little too far and uh they're not only shitty people but they're pretty shitty movie makers as well agreed so to recap that's a 40 out of 100 for the 2006 black christmas remake now let's move on to the worst of the bunch and jesus christ man this movie is no bueno this is the 2019 remake of Black Christmas. I don't even know if you can really call it a remake. It's a very loose remake. Uh, but it is directed by Sophia Tikal. Who hates men, apparently. She definitely hates men. That's a, that's a safe assumption. Let's just let's just get right into it. Let's let's go into the acting. The acting in this movie really isn't that bad. 
you get Emojin Poots, who is at least subtle for the most part. Like, the first half of the movie, she's pretty good. I think she kind of falls apart a little bit toward the end of the movie. Um, but at least she's... I, I kind of like her more than I liked Katie Cassidy in the 2006. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and you feel for her, you know, like there's a part that comes out that, you know, she has a history with uh, sexual assault. And so you feel for her there. For all the problems with this movie, I really don't think that she's one of them. No, uh, not at all. Both from an acting standpoint and even the way she was written, really, for the most part. Um, she's, you know, she's pretty good despite some of the frustrations with the movie. But for the rest of the cast, what do you got to say about that? Uh it's not a, I don't think it's a matter of the acting, really. I, I don't think the acting is like bottom of the barrel, you know. We're not talking about Friday the 13th, a new beginning here. Like, you know, I think there is like competent acting. The kid who plays Landon is pretty bad. Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, I, I, I my gripe with this movie, and I have, a, I have a lot of gripes with it, but the acting is really not one of them, to be honest. Right. I, I agree. Actually, not really, because I gave this a 2 out of 10. Okay. Because I think Poots is really good. I think she's miscast, though. Um, She is an up-and-coming actress, but she has been around for a little bit. So I feel like most film people know that she's at least 30. Here she is playing a college student. It really seems like an outdated role for her. Yeah. Like something that she should have done five, six years ago, not 2019 when she's trying to make a name for herself. I think the secondary actors and uh, cast is really bad with the frat boys, the frat Ugh, girls. Yeah. Um, the frat boys are really so bad at over the top. Yeah, they're really bad. But that kind of goes with the writing. But, you know, I'm going to still stick with my two out of ten. Uh, there's Carrie Ellis. Elwes, Els, I don't know how you say it. Um, the first time I watched this, I thought he was doing a really bad british accent and i looked it up he actually is from england which i was shocked because i've never seen him with his true accent talking um he's bad in this though he was bad yeah Yeah. uh the part where he's um um, explaining his evil plan at the end of the movie dude i couldn't cringe harder bad writing but bad acting but yeah it just goes hand in hand really uh with me for this movie so that's why i gave it a two out of ten yeah, when I was looking on the Wikipedia, I was like, oh, Carrie Elvis, you know, there, there's something to keep an eye on. And he just brought nothing. He, in was, fact. he was one of the worst parts of this movie. Yeah, for he was. Sure. By the way, I gave it a five out of ten. Maybe I'm being too generous, but just for all of the problems with this movie, acting was passable, I guess I would say. Maybe I'm being too me as well, but it's definitely in that range from two to five. You yeah. can't go higher than five. I don't think you can go lower than two. Yeah, so agreed. Pick your uh, battle. The entertainment value. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Uh, this is the one good thing I'll say about the movie, and it's really not that good. But like the the opening scene is decent enough, where the girl is walking home and she's killed in the right. snow. I hate that scene, man. Okay, all right, that's fine. Yeah, that that's the only scene where like it at least felt like a slasher movie to me, at right. least. Um, I'm not saying it's. <laughs> and I think that's why really. I hate it so much because there was actual potential there, and yeah. I just hate the way they handled it, and I'll get more into that when we're done with the categories. Oh, Jesus Christ, this movie. Yeah, it's like... But um, is there any reason to ever watch this movie after seeing it the first time? Like, are you ever going to watch this movie? No, because it's not It's not one of those movies that's so bad it's good. It's, it's no. so bad it makes you want to throw the remote through right. your TV. So, um, yeah, the opening scene did have potential. Like you said, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, and after that, any faith in the movie is just squandered. It's just the most, even the kills in this movie, they are the most average cookie cutter, forgettable kills. They're, um, edited down so bad. You you can tell they really wanted to, uh, get that PG-13 rating. So like someone's about to get killed and then it just cuts away. Like you never actually see people really get murdered in this movie. There's no gore at all, which is what the black... Christmas franchise, you know, was raised on. Um, And the way they're killed, man, it's just like the most common strangled. It's just the most common hard tropes, like all the cliches you can find in the book. Stabbed with a with an icicle. Yeah. Uh, I don't get how that person got into the house in that opening scene. She's knocking on doorbell or she's knocking on doors. Was that her house? I, I guess so. I don't know. Who cares? I, I don't think the people who wrote the movie know, but uh, and I don't think they really care either. Entertainment, I gave it a two. I gave it a two as well. Um, it's a movie that I'll never watch again. Yes. Um, 
it really has no Christmas feels to it either. Like if, yep. at at least with 2006, like you can you know you can kind of yeah. feel like the Christmas spirit in this. Mm-hmm. There's no Christmas spirit at all. It just happens to take place on Christmas. Exactly. Yeah, I mean the 06 has like the Christmas lights all over the Sorority right. house. This is mm-hmm. God. This is this sucks so bad. And that and that leads me into the music. The music is absolute nothing. There's nothing at all. It doesn't feel like a Christmas movie, like you said, at all. There's not even any Christmas hymns. There's no choruses. Like, give us, at least try to act like you took some inspiration from the 1974. Right. It's a one. I hate it. I hate the Um, music, too. I'll actually give it a two for the Up in the Fred House uh, song. Okay. You know, that's (laughs) somewhat cool and original. Um, So... To their credit, I'll give them a two for that. Okay. Let's move on to The Scares. It's one of the least scariest movies I've seen in a long time. I agree. Uh, So outdated with the jump scares, you know, when the girl turns, you know, the killer's there, the hand on the shoulder. I wrote that down down where, like, she's lighting up the Christmas lights in the attic or some Mm -hmm. shit, and, and, oh, there's a face there. Like, oh, nobody saw that coming. I actually did jump a little bit when, for that scene, and I like hate to say it, but um, you know, but that's just the PG thirteen horror striking once again. And by the way, they not took... that I have a knock, you know, and it's not like I have a thing against PG thirteen horror yeah. movies because they can be done well, but yeah. this is like the prototypical yeah. PG thirteen horror movie. It reminded me in that sense of uh, the two thousand six When a Stranger Calls, like how PG thirteen that movie felt, and yeah. it was so cat- it was so obviously catered to teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a scare perspective in this movie, you don't get to hear – there is no Billy. Really? So no. there's no creepy phone calls, and it's replaced by text messaging. Yeah. it's <laughs> There's so many things wrong with that, but more than anything, it's just not scary in the least bit. And then you take a great killer like like what Billy was in 1974, um, even in 06, you still have Billy. And you got Angus who was a creepy yeah. – his creepy daughter. This, you just get a bunch of dudes in hoods, and it's not just one person, it's a whole frat, and it's not just one killer, it's a whole frat house of killers, yeah. which makes it even less scary. Um, Like, the scene where they're at the sorority house, and the dude's chasing them inside the house with a bow and arrow, and he looks like Robin Hood. Like, it's not scary at all. It yeah. just looks so stupid. The killers look dumb. And even when they take off the uh, mask of of the killer and like it like reveals nobody like has yeah. to go back to the main character going, oh, I recognize him from 15 minutes into the movie when we saw him for 10 seconds. Yeah. Like you don't care about who the killer is. Uh, it's not scary. I hate this fucking movie. It's really <laughs> it's really one of the least scariest movies um, you could watch. And I really I really believe that like. You know, if you want to, maybe the only reason you ever watch this movie is if you have someone who wants to be. If you're like a male feminist and you're trying to get laid by your feminist date, by maybe. Your fe- by your feminist date who doesn't like horror and doesn't right. want, and doesn't want to be scared. Yeah, it's bad. This, it's a one for me on on the scare level. I jumped once. I will admit I jumped once, so I'll give it a two. Okay. The writing. And with all of the things wrong with this movie, everything that we've already spoken about, the writing is easily the the biggest demerit. This movie is just an absolute mess. It's a frustrating movie. I mean, I actually got angry watching the movie. Um, you know, it's one thing to make like a feminist movie and all that. It, it's another thing to do it in such a silly, blatant, over-the-top way. The writing here is a fucking joke. 15 minutes into the movie, like, they're already beating us over the head with its message. Um, you know, that the final girl is complaining that they're not reading enough literature from female writers. The other girl, who's terrible in the movie, I think her name is Chris, the black girl, Yeah, uh, is trying to get statues removed from, you know, guys that I guess were accused of right. sex. I don't know. I don't even know what the hell the, the story is. But Right then and there, like, you know what kind of movie this is going to be. What's fr- what's frustrating is the depiction of the frat bros, and like I don't I don't like there's not one decent male character, no. especially white male character, and of course like the love interest has to be you know a guy of color. And did you notice he's like the perfect male? Like he holds the door for her. Right. He does yeah, like course. all of the little things. And another thing I noticed that when she goes to the campus police, it's a white cop, yeah. and he just shrugs off everything. Just you know. 
there's man dude there's a lot of cringeworthy scenes in this movie but how about the one where they're in the kitchen and the one girl gets in a fight with her boyfriend yeah and oh my god you know he's he's basically sticking up for men I, he's I, like I guess. The, um he's like the audience if if they could go into the movie and talk but then they kind of just brush him off and except he can't act either except so. yeah except it comes off horribly yeah but then the one girl chris is like men have all the power the fuck does that even mean what are you referring to Dude, i don't know i think the people that wrote this movie they really should have just written a tweet and sent it out to you know anyone who they hate they they didn't have to write a whole movie and then stick the title black christmas to it you know uh it's funny you, know, you say that about twitter because i thought that the, the characters in this movie the writing in this movie it's like these aren't feminists. This is what like feminists are on social media. Right, exactly. This this is like your worst perception of what a feminist is. Yeah. And and of men, you know, yeah. of you know, of like this rape culture that they were going for, you know, which is something in the writing that I'll give them a point for. Uh, that's something, you know, that women have had to deal with on the college campus, you know, yeah. is this rape culture and they and they dive into it, but then when you go over the top, though, like you kind of lose your message that you're trying to send and no one's going to take you seriously. Yes. So the messaging is a problem, not not the message itself, right. just the way that the movie was conducted. And to piggyback off of that, I, I watch a lot of like YouTube movie reviewers and there's a guy named Jeremy Johns mm. who has a pretty popular channel. I think I'm just going to borrow the words he said because I think he summed it up perfectly. He said, this isn't a movie with a social message attached to it. It's a social message with a movie attached to it. It's perfectly it's, said. It's the perfect summary. But even beyond that messaging and you know the, the way it was misguidedly put on the big screen, there's also other issues with the writing here. Like you mentioned, where Carrie Elwes is basically explaining his evil plot, like spelling everything right. out bit by bit. Um, and then the car scene. The, the with, main character yeah. has to explain the whole plot. You know, like we, we've been watching a movie for the last 50 minutes, but she goes over the last 50 minutes and tries to explain what's going to happen in the final 30 minutes. It's just. And like the movie's not that deep. We don't need a, no, we don't need a summary. It's a terrible movie that needs no explanation. But th that's not what the Black Christmas franchise is supposed to be. It's supposed to be an easy movie. Like this movie is like A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, where it's like. What the hell am I watching? Like, yeah. it's so convoluted that yeah. you don't even care about it. You're beat over the head, you know, with, with these people's messages. Um, and you just lose any interest so quick it, uh, while you're watching this movie. It's such a bad horror movie, such a bad slasher movie, to the point where the message gets in the way of you even caring about the killers. Like, they just feel like afterthoughts in the end. Right. With that said, I gave this a 1 out of 10 for writing. Me too. There's really nothing else you can give it. Agreed. So, in summary on this one, these numbers are ugly, man. You gave it a 9 out of 50. I gave it a 10. That's a total of 19 out of 100. So, I guess that makes us a couple of sexist pigs if we hate this movie. Hey, we got 19 for 19. We had 74 for 74. Right. Look at us. Look at that. But, yeah, man, this movie stinks. It does. Um, so, really we gave don't... it a 19. Um, the critics gave it a 38. Of course they did, because yeah. I feel like that. So I feel like if they would have bashed this movie too much, then there would have been some like bad backlash for them. Yeah. But the audience gave it a thirty-one. I'm kind of shocked by that, because when you when you dive in this movie, go into like the comment sections, this movie gets nothing but tortured. So the fact this has a thirty-one by the audience seems a little fishy to me. Uh, yeah, I de I definitely agree, and I think maybe the only thing that that maybe happened was the director. Sophia Tikal, I mean, she made it PG-13 in order to appeal to younger women. Yeah, so I mean, you could brainwash these 14, 15-year-old girls and hating men. That's what I'm saying, dude. It could have been, like, 14-year-old girls, and that's why the, the like, that oh, audience score. that was a good movie, yeah. yeah. Really subtle messaging. Yeah. <laughs> Cost $5 million to make, uh, brought in $18 million at the box office. This movie was announced in June of 2019 and was released December of 2019. Uh, so that's like six months from yeah. it being announced to being filmed and finished. That's crazy. Uh, that's you can tell with of. the editing how yeah. how fast they just rushed this movie. Uh, the ending of the movie where they burn down the building and it just ends. Like It just seems like they couldn't find a way to end this movie. And they're just like, all right, we'll just burn it all down and we'll yeah. roll the credits. Um, 
Yeah, that production timeline is is almost unheard of. That's that's I honestly think uh, like like you get these fan made movies like Never Hike in the Snow and Never Hike Alone. Like mm-hmm. those probably took longer to make than this piece of shit. And the director lied, by the way. She said she made it PG thirteen to appeal to younger females, like I said. But she also said she wouldn't allow that rating to water down the violence. And there's no violence in this movie. Yeah, there's very right. little blood. Something that could have made this movie a little bit better was a little more gore, a little bit less of your message. Actually, no, they probably should have just never even made this piece of shit movie. Totally. Agree. There was no need for it. I mean, there was a 32-year gap from the original to the remake. There's only a 13-year gap from this to the 06 remake. There's no need for Blumhouse to make this movie. Um, and as much as I do like him for bringing back the Halloween franchise, uh, he has like those uh, Jordan Peele movies with yeah. like uh, with uh, Get Out and Us. He also has a lot of really bad horror movies, you know, with Truth or Dare, yeah. This. Uh, it's like it's like those PG thirteen movies that should have been made fifteen years ago yeah. is what they're kind of making now, and they need to stop. Yeah, the only way you could have fixed this movie is if you just burned the production down to the ground <laughs> right. and just started over with new people, new directors, new writers. This this movie pretty much had no chance because the people that making it obviously were not competent. So safe to say, this is number three on the list of the Black Christmas movies. Yeah. To recap, number one. No secret. It's pretty obvious. It's the 1974 original with a score of 74 out of 100. The 2006 remake comes in second place fairly easily. With that said, a long, long space and then second place. Yeah, big, big gap in quality. Um, that's a 40 out of 100. And then the 2019 remake, don't waste your time. It's a 19 out of 100, and uh, it is a well-deserved 19. Mike, before we get out of here, man, what's the what's the best Thanksgiving side dish? I go with uh, stuffing with gravy, man. Totally agree. Yeah, totally man, agree. We, we agree on a lot. Yeah. Dark or white meat guy? I'm a dark meat guy. Same. I don't discriminate though. I'll eat, I'll eat the white stuff. <laughs> Good for you. I, I, should, I should maybe edit that out. That sounded <laughs> that sounded a little sketchy. All right, man. We're gonna get out of here. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We will talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks again for your support. 